So I'll address the elephant in the room, perhaps. Uh, I did not lose a bet. I purposely cut my hair this way. And despite some of your comments, I like it. And so... <laughs> someone called me militant with the haircut. Yeah, I, that was hurtful. Um, okay, all right. Take, let, focus here. We are in our journey through the book of Colossians, and so we spent four weeks walking through the, the really the first chapter or so, and we took a two-week break, and now we're going to jump in, and we're going to spend the next four weeks as a plan to, to finish up. This, it was initially supposed to be a four-week series, and we just got into the text, and we could not, I could not in good conscience just skip through or hurry through over uh, w- what I think is probably my most favorite book in the entire New Testament. Uh, the, the theological richness of this particular letter is, it's, it's just different than other places in Scripture, and, and, and really, really important to us. And what I love about this particular book, and I, I think this probably could be said for, for every letter that Paul wrote, it's just, I, I have, there's just something about this one, this book, that I could just put myself into the shoes of this church and, and, and find myself relating a lot to the things that Paul is instructing the church to do, or perhaps warning them about. And so this is a letter that Paul wrote to a specific church uh, that, that when, they were, when they were founded, when they were planted, things were going great, life was good. Paul says in chapter 1 that because of the gospel message, the world was being changed, everything was going well, but then Paul had gotten word that something had changed, or, or perhaps there was a risk of something changing. News had reached Paul that there was pressure from the outside to to conform, to shift, to flex. To to take the gospel message that they knew and and, and to to, to change it ever so slightly. Or the, the theology that was once only Jesus has been shifted to Jesus and. And that's an very, very dangerous proposition. Paul warned in Galatians, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Here it is, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why this particular letter, and specifically chapter 2 of Colossians, is so important to us, because so much is at stake for the church, and I think subsequently for us. So let me ask you a question. Uh, It's summertime, and summertime is, like, that's, in my head, that's like tea-drinking season. I consume lots of tea in the summer. And so my question that I have for you is, when does water become tea? When, when does water become tea? So, so, I mean, do you have to let it steep for a while for it to become tea? Or, or, and I would suggest, the moment that the tea bag enters the water, it changes. It's tea. Now, it, it, it's diluted tea, Right? You can't tell. It probably doesn't even taste like tea at this point. But, but there's something different about it. Something has changed. That, that, that's what's at stake here with the gospel. 
the moment that, and this is why this letter is so important, the moment that you begin to add something to the gospel, the purity of it is ruined forever. It changes. It, it, might, it, it might look at least initially the same. It might even taste the same. It might even like give you the same kind of thirst quenching. But, but the reality is, is the moment that a tea bag hits the tea or the water, it becomes tea. The moment something is added to the gospel, However small it is, it changes the gospel. And Paul says when you change the gospel, it is no gospel at all. There's a lot at stake here. There is a lot at stake. And so Paul writes this letter warning the church, warning them that, that, that if they allow the outside voices to integrate, to come in, to change, that it's going to take everything that God has been building, it, and it's going it's to, there's potential for it to become corrupt. If, you, um, if you're out hiking and, and your, your goal is to go due north, and so you're looking at your compass and you're going due north, and you decide just to go a couple of degrees to the west— Initially, you're probably going to be like, well, I'm walking along the same path. Initially, it's going to feel the same. It's even going to look the same. But as you go through time, and as you get further and further and further on your journey, what happens? You divert further and further and further away from the place that you were always intending to go. That's what the Colossians are up against. And that's why I think this is so relatable. Like, we live in a world today, and we'll talk about this here in a second, that... (laughs) The enemy is doing everything that he can to to flex us ever so slightly off the course that Scripture directs us to go. And so he's going to address it here in Colossians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up with me to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 6. This is what Paul writes. He says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Commentators suggest that this is really the theological heart of this entire letter. When Paul shifts into chapter 2, verse 6, this is where he's really going to get to the point, and he's going to lay down the framework and, and really explain, hey, this is why I am writing you. This is the purpose of the letter. And he starts that train of thought or that line of reasoning with, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. These people know better. They understand the gospel. The message that was delivered to them was the pure, perfect, whole gospel. Everything they needed was given to them. And Paul's reminding them like, like to, to be built up in that. Strengthen your faith as you were taught. And when you do those things, and this, this, is, this is one of those verses where I have a tendency just to read over it because Paul says this a lot. I don't think a lot about it, but he says, and overflowing with thankfulness. What happens when you live in the gospel, when you stop and you appreciate this thing that Jesus Christ did for you, something should change inside of us where we, like, we're just thankful. Man, I didn't deserve this, but you gave it to me anyway. I think one of the things that maybe, I can't decide if I'm terrified of this or looking forward to it uh, in eternity, is I think one of these days, we are going to see exactly what we were saved from. 
I think we're going to see the reality of sin and death. And those words are going to have vivid pictures. And I think at that moment, this is going to come to culmination. He says, you know better. You know the gospel. Continue to be strong, rooted up. He says that that because you know the gospel, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So, So he says, all right, you know the gospel, you know the truth, you have a foundation, and I need you to make sure, because this is the threat coming from the outside in, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, that no one takes you captive. Like, I read that, and I immediately think, like, like, being held as a prisoner, being bound up, put in a cage, a cell. And while that certainly could be a definition, that certainly could be what Paul's trying to say here, what I find interesting is when you dig into the Greek, another definition of this particular word is to be led astray. See to it that no one takes you and pulls you off the course that you were supposed to go. See to it that nobody distracts you. See to it that that no one distracts you with hollow and deceptive philosophy. Hollow. Appears to be of substance, yet has no substance. It's it's the the celery of philosophy, right? You know, celery has no caloric value. I read an article that says it actually burns calories eating celery. Uh, And and so it's, it's hollow. It has no purpose. No one in their right mind should ever eat celery. That, that's, that's what he's referring to here, right? It's hollow. And he says, in addition to it being hollow, it's deceptive. It's going to tell you something or promise you something that does not exist. It's the weight loss pill that you take that promises that if you just take this pill twice a day, you never have to work out and the calories of the pounds will shed off. Well, we know those pills don't work. At least I know. I've tried them all, right? It's deceptive. It's a lie. He said the reason that it's hollow and deceptive is because it's man-made. So the beauty of our gospel is that it's God's revelation to us. It isn't our quest to find him. It's his revelation to us. It's so different than other religions of the world. God reveals himself to us. He comes to us. He's given us salvation. He's given us the gospel. And, and, And anything else that's human created is not right. It's impossible for imperfect beings to create anything perfect. You say it again. It's impossible for imperfect beings to create anything perfect. And so when we try to create something, even though we try, even though we do our best, it's going to be flawed. Well, the gospel isn't flawed. And when you, when you depend on things that are hollow and deceptive, that are man-made, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Then he says that, that they depend on elemental spiritual forces. Now this, lots of commentators have lots of thoughts as to what Paul was getting at here. It's possible that he's referring to a specific issue that this church was up against. There, there could be some um, pressure to adhere to Jewish law. He'll get to that here in a second. Or there's potential that there's some like angel worshiping happening. Right? And he's saying that, that maybe, maybe that's, that's not not what you should worship. It could be earth, wind, fire, like the elements of the world, or it could be just like the ABCs of something. Whatever it is, Paul's reminding them, he's warning them that, hey, you need to make sure that you're not being distracted by those things. 
Because those things that are hollow and deceptive and man-made, they are not Christian. There's nothing that we can add to the gospel of value. Anyone that tells you differently is lying to you. Everything we need is right here. And he's reminding the church, do not get distracted. Do not get off course. Do not get unfocused. You have everything you need. And he says, and here's, here's, here's why. Verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Christ is the fullness of the deity, which means that everything Jesus is, is God. Like, like he, he, isn't, he isn't a representative of God. He isn't like God's messenger. He is actually God. That is the deity in human form. The fullness of it. And he says that when you, when you step into a relationship with him, you're going to find that you have been brought to fullness. By its very definition, when something is full, you cannot or should not add anything else to it. He says you have everything you need. You don't need to take Jesus and sprinkle a little bit of law. You don't need to take Jesus and sprinkle a little bit of mysticism. You don't need Jesus and sprinkle a little bit of this faith or that faith. Like, like it just, it's Jesus. That's it. End of story. And he's reminding the church not to get distracted by the noise that this world is so good at providing. Verse 11, he says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And this also gives us some clues that probably there's some pressure to adhere to Jewish law. And we know in other places in the, the New Testament, there were people who say, well, yes, you can believe in Jesus, but let's make sure we do the, you know, the old covenant stuff, the circumcision, the laws, this, you know, the, the, the sacraments, all of those things. And, and Paul says, no, 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 no. Like, you, you don't understand. Like, you, that's done. The new covenant. So your heart is circumcised. Jesus takes care of us from the inside out. The thing that God required of humanity that we were never able to adhere to because we are imperfect, Jesus Christ fixed on the cross. Then he, um, he sums up, Paul does, the gospel message in one of my most favorite ways in the entire New Testament in verses 13 through 15. He says, he says when you were dead in your sins— and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away. I love this. Nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. There is something so heroic about this. I read this, and like, like the, 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 there was a legal indebtedness. 
There was something that I was required to give standing before a righteous judge that I could never give on my own. I had, had no ability to do it. And Paul says like that, when you, were, when you were the most helpless, when you were standing before the righteous judge, Jesus Christ stood in the gap and he nailed your sins to the cross. That's what was up there. That's powerful. He says, he says Colossians, you have everything you need. And yet, this church found itself distracted. We have everything that we need. Everything we need. And yet, I find myself distracted. One of the enemy's greatest tactics and tools, one of Satan's, I think, like one of his most effective strategies, he doesn't need you to be a disciple. He, he, he doesn't even need you to, to, to turn away from Jesus. Like he, he, he doesn't need you to, 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 to throw your faith away, although I'm sure he would prefer it. He doesn't need you to do any of that stuff. He, he, just, he simply needs to distract you just enough to get you off course so that when you end up at the place you were going, it's different from the place that Jesus Christ called you to be. He, he, just, he just needs to distract you. And it's a slippery slope. It's a really slippery slope distraction because at first if we go back to if we go back to this right if we go back to the the t at first we don't notice it the the moment we we have we have the distractions in our lives like at first it, it seems like they're harmless and nothing has really changed like what, <laughs> i started thinking through all of my distractions and they are a many uh, i am easily distracted uh, in almost area every aspect of my life like my mom uh, and i think it still holds true at almost 40 years old i'm like a puppy chasing butterflies right i'm just part of i think what makes me successful in life is that but also i think it's part of my demise i get distracted so easily and so as I started making a list of all the things I was distracting, uh, that is distracting me or has potential to distract me, uh, I, I found myself, I, and I think, I think this might be true for, for most of us in here, certainly I think for most guys. Um, John, what's in your pocket right now? Do you have anything in your pocket? What do you got? So you got a phone? Do you have a wallet? Do you have keys? You didn't drive here. Okay. All right, uh, phone, phone, wallet, keys. Uh, raise your hand if those are in your pocket right now or a variation of the three, okay? Me too. I started thinking about the pocket gods that I have. I have, I have, I have my, um, my wallet, right? It, it represents my, my financial security. Uh, business cards in here represents my role. Uh, I have my driver's license, represents my ability to, 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 to drive. Uh, like it, it, and these aren't inherently bad things, but man, does Satan like to use this to distract me. Or I have my, my, my keys, right? Represents my possessions, my access. Uh, you know, the, the more keys, the more power. You've heard that, right? No? 
No? I have no keys. Um, like, it, it, it is something that isn't inherently bad, but man, does Satan use this to distract me. And, and then my, my phone, which I didn't bring up here because I would have been distracted by it. <laughs> the irony wasn't lost on me that as I was writing a sermon about distraction this week, I found myself at several occasions uh, 30 minutes deep into like an Instagram reel, like a completely off topic and off subject. Again, phones can be used for, for really good things, and they're not inherently bad, but man, does Satan, does he, does he divert my attention with him? And so what happens at first is, is it's subtle and you don't notice it, but, but you know that as you steep tea, right, as you continue to allow the tea to sit over time, and without you even realizing it, it changes more and more and more and more. And the thing that really used to look like water and taste like water, even though it had been corrupted before, like it really begins to take an entirely different shape. You become desensitized, and whether, <laughs> what happens to me is you get to a place where you forget that this was ever even water water. And that's a dangerous, dangerous proposition. Because this, this is when Satan gets a hold. This is when you lose your ability to really build the kingdom of God. This is when you, your life um, gets really diverted from the path that you were called to take. It tastes different, it looks different, it feels different, and actually uh, the nutritional value is different. So, so the question I have, what is it, church, that, that you are allowing yourself to be distracted by? What is it that you've allowed to, to, to intermingle or dip into your relationship with Jesus Christ? What is it that, that, that you, have, you have sprinkled in? What wall have you built around the gospel? What, what, what thing are you doing? What, what, what task is taking you away? What is it that's distracting you from your relationship with Jesus Christ? Or, or better yet, what is it in your life that you, you've prioritized over your relationship with Jesus? Because that's what this is about. What is it? Job? Marriage? Being a parent? Work? Money? The gym? Ooh, tradition? Routine, what is it? Satan is cunning and he is tricky. And if there is something that he can find, you better believe that it'll be leveraged. And so, what is it that we have allowed to be in our lives that distracts us? And so, then, then once you identify that, and for me, it changes every day. What do you do? So reality is, is that, that once tea is tea, it can never go back to being water again. So we find ourselves looking at this, like our life, our situation, like, well, I don't even know what to do with it. It's clearly not right. It's not what it's supposed to be. So, so, so what do I do? How do I untee my tea? 
is the beauty of the gospel and what, what, what Paul writes about when he was saying that, that our, our illegal indebtedness was nailed to the cross. The beauty of a relationship with Jesus Christ is he says, you know what? Yep, your life is a mess. I absolutely agree. Why don't you just give that to me? You can't change it yourself. You can't fix it. So just give it to me. And then he is faithful. fill it back up. And this is where it gets really cool, church. At least in my life, this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't a, hey, you get three chances and then you're out of luck. This is a, every time I find myself distracted, (laughs) the Lord is faithful to allow me to pour it at his feet Every single time he has filled me back up with the thing that I was supposed to have all along. Time after time after time. Why? Because he loves us that much. That's what this story is. That's what Paul is trying to remind this church. That they are loved more than they can imagine. That Jesus Christ, because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, they have access, they have ability to step into the presence of a holy God. And beyond that, God has plans for them. We just have to figure out, and this is different for all of us, what's distracting you from that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your your love. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your willingness to take the mess that I constantly make my life, and, and I thank you for making it new over and over and over again. Father, Father, we live in a world where distractions are, they're, they're unlimited, at a push of a button or, or like they're just there in every way, shape, or form. Father, help us be laser-focused on you and who it is that you have called us to be. Allow us to live our lives in a way that glorifies you, whether it's at work or at school or at home, at Walmart, at the gun range, at McDonald's, wherever we are, Lord. Give us the ability to glorify you in everything that we do. Help us be laser focused on who you are, what it is that you have done. And thank you, thank you for the sufficiency of Jesus in the cross. 